the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Who's inciting whom? All the Democrats in Washington and the media, I know, same thing, uh, and at least half of the Republicans have apparently decided that Donald Trump is guilty of inciting a riot because of what happened yesterday at the Capitol. Both uh, Nancy Pelosi and Charlie Schumer uh, say that they want uh, Trump to uh, be removed by by virtue of the, or with the uh, 25th Amendment, which it it's, it's not really possible to do, but that's what they want, or, or they want to impeach him. Anyway, uh, I'm going to wait until I find out just how many Antifa people were involved in the violence before who I think, uh, before I pick who I think uh, did the inciting or, or the rioting. But how about this? Um, you know, maybe everybody in Washington, both in the government and the media, are responsible for inciting a riot. The media all last summer referred to riots as peaceful demonstrations. They were riots. And when they did admit that it wasn't all that peaceful, they would justify the violence because of the cause, which, of course, was Trump and his supporters. So that was another slap in the face saying that, listen, you people deserve to have cities being burned down. It's your fault. And uh, you, you and the guy you support, that's why people are burning things down. And it's justified for him to do it. Anyway, then there are the Democrats and, and what they did to Donald Trump for four years. Uh, Trump supporters had to put up with Daily stories about what a bad guy their candidate was, a Russian spy, for how long did that go on, and, of course, a racist and all that stuff. And then Donald Trump voters, all of whom voted for him because of um, who they thought he would appoint to the Supreme Court, they had to sit through the Kavanaugh hearings, and they watched Democrats uh, and people like Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris uh, trying to ruin uh, Kavanaugh's life. And this is, uh, it's, you know, it's kind of a day-to-day just uh, torture that uh, they put Trump supporters through, and and they wonder why they got a little angry after a while. Um, and, and those Trump supporters knew that Kavanaugh was getting the treatment because of their guy, Trump. They knew that. And then, of course, there was impeachment. Remember that? Nobody, not even the Democrats, or the media uh, ever really thought that uh, President Trump did anything that was impeachment worthy. Um, how long did that drag on? And for how long did the Trump supporters watch cities burn while the media referred to the cause of the burn as being the cause, as I said earlier? You know, peaceful demonstrations, that's what they were. And how many of those rioters in D.C. yesterday, uh, by the way, uh, come from states like ours uh, with the Democrat governor, uh, uh, who blames Trump for 300,000 deaths and then has locked them down for nine months. You think that might get you a little angry, a little pent up. Uh, and that was, there was some of that going on there yesterday, too. Then there is uh, fraud and the belief that the election was stolen. That was kind of the last straw. So maybe President Trump deserves some blame for inciting the crowd yesterday, but it was the liberals and the Democrat Party and the media who created most of the energy you saw on Capitol Hill yesterday. Meanwhile, uh, what has uh, Donald Trump left for the Republican Party? Uh, that's a good question. He actually uh, helped them uh, uh, more than uh, they could have imagined, more than you probably imagined or remember. My guest coming up after the break has the re- details, the numbers on that. And coming up in the second half hour, I'm not going to talk about Donald Trump. I'm not going to talk about Joe Biden or Kamala Harris. I'm going to talk about the Steelers and the Browns with a guy who's just like me, an old-time sports reporter who spent 29 years working in Cleveland. We'll be right back. Stick around. In 1901, a woman by the name of Annie Taylor climbed into a barrel so that she could ride that barrel over Niagara Falls, the first person to do so. The reason for her crazy endeavor? She was struggling to make ends meet, and she was hoping for fame and financial security. 
It's Ryan from United Faith Mortgage, a faith and family mortgage team that tries to improve your financial outlook without having to ship you over a 170-foot waterfall. Our mortgage team happens to be an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. This advantage often allows us to get you a better rate, which can save you monthly and lifelong money through a refinance, or help you with a cash-out refinance, cashing out some of your home's equity to use for life. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Middle Park Road, Melbourne, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to animalistconsumeraccess.org. Corporate animalist number 1335. Rack animalist number 65233. Equal housing lender. I license in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah. By now, you've heard me talk about my pillow and how it's literally changed my life. They won't go flat. You can wash and dry them as many times as you want. They maintain their shape. Made in the USA. For a limited time, Mike is offering his premium my pillows for his lowest price ever. You can get a standard queen premium my pillow for twenty nine ninety eight. Originally sixty nine ninety eight. That's a forty dollar savings. Kings are only five dollars more. Not only are you getting the lowest price ever, $29.98 for a standard queen premium, but Mike is extending his 60-day money-back guarantee to March 1st, 2021. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code STAG. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and MyPillow towel sets. Or call 800-716-8087 and use promo code STAG. The holidays will be different this year. Also different is the way you have been and will be doing business. Adapting to the changes hasn't been easy, but never more important to succeed. Many of the digital resources available have helped overcome obstacles your business is facing, but are you using the full potential of every one of them? That's where Salem Surround can help. Your business needs to use digital tools more than ever to stay in touch with customers who are still making buying decisions this year and for next. Will they consider or even know about you? The marketing team at Salem Surround gives you the tools needed to stand out and be visible to current and potential customers online right now looking for what you do. We'll design a plan that targets and surrounds customers with proven marketing strategies. Contact Salem Surround for a free evaluation of your marketing plan and see how we can help place your advertising message in front of today's consumers. Learn more at surroundpittsburgh.com. Surroundpittsburgh.com. Connecting you with new customers. You're listening to the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. Well, President Trump still has 13 days in office unless he's going to be around longer because he's got some big surprise still waiting out there for everybody. Uh, but after what happened in Georgia, the Democrats control everything. And is that Donald Trump's fault? Did he leave a mess for the Republican Party? Well, not really. John Daniel Davidson is the political editor for The Federalist, and he is here with some his- history. Thanks for coming on again, John. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So, uh, first, uh, there is, is there such a thing as Trumpism, uh, and what is it, and is it dead? Well, I think there is such a thing as Trumpism, but uh, Trump's not going to be around for it much longer. I think people who think this was all about Trump himself uh, have it wrong. Trump was a symptom. He, he wasn't a cause. Uh, and and what, was, what happened with his nomination and his election and his term in office uh, started many years ago. And it has to do with, with uh, the breakup and the transformation of the Republican Party, which is ongoing uh, and, and which we're about to see the next phase of. So um, you're saying that, uh, I mean, he came along at the right time. People were upset. He struck yes. a nerve. But uh, are you saying it was inevitable that so, so, if, it wouldn't, if it hadn't have been Donald Trump, it would have been somebody else like him? Absolutely. What happened was that a major portion of the GOP electorate got completely fed up with the Republican establishment that had been ignoring them on decades about issues that they cared about, immigration, free trade, foreign policy. When you think back to the GOP primary, Trump was the only one who was willing to debate the Iraq war. None of the other GOP candidates wanted to debate it because they didn't want to say anything bad about George Bush because they thought Republican voters actually cared about George Bush. Well, they didn't. (laughs) In your piece at The Federalist today, uh, you laid out some numbers that show Trump did his party more favors uh, than either Barack Obama or George Bush. That's right. Trump made 
yeah, he may be, it may look bad now, given the events of yesterday, but in terms of Republicans in office, both in Washington, D.C. and across the country, Trump is leaving the Republican Party in a better shape than Obama or Bush did. Both of those presidents kind of decimated their parties, uh, especially in the case of Obama, when you look at state houses and governorships uh, and the number of Democrats in Congress. The Democrats were decimated after eight years of Obama. Trump may be leaving office, but his party is on a new trajectory, I think, uh, and it's in a better shape than, than you would think after four chaotic years of his presidency. Yeah, the numbers you had for Obama were stunning uh, for uh, what he well, actually, what he didn't leave behind, because so, so many Democrats were beaten in the in elections uh, from the state level all the way up. It, it's amazing how many uh, how, how and, and he's he's looked at as uh, uh, a hero of the party, and he was the greatest thing that ever happened to them. But based on your numbers, he wasn't. Yeah, we have a cult of personality in both parties. The Democrats just got there first. Even now, Obama is held up as this great, almost messianic figure, but he didn't do the Democratic Party any favors. They had historic losses in the House in 2010 and 2014, the huge swings in majorities uh, that we hadn't seen in almost 100 years. Uh, and, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that he governed in a more extreme left-wing way than he campaigned as. You know, when, when Democrats came back uh, and, and regained some of these seats, they did it by running moderate people uh, in, in swing districts in the country that are not as far left as, as the Democratic leadership has become. Yeah, and here, here's just a, a couple numbers from your piece. Um, it, when, when Obama took office in 2009, and I think it's interesting to point this out because it, today everybody is thinking, boy, just boy, the Republicans have to regret having Trump around. He just destroyed the party. Too bad he wasn't didn't do for them what what Obama did for for uh, for the Democrats. But it said you say that when Obama took office in 2009, Democrats controlled both chambers in 27 states. When he left, it was only 13. The Democrats lost 13 governorships and a total of 813 state legislative seats. Uh, and between the tw that was between the 20 and 2014 uh, midterms, Republicans gained control of 33 state legislatures. So um, what did the Republicans miss there? I mean, th that was going on before Donald Trump showed up. Um, what was it that, that uh, first of all, was, it, was Mitt Romney a bad candidate? I mean, what happened that all that energy that, uh, and negative energy that Obama and the Democrats had that the Republicans didn't take care of it, just bad candidates? It was, take advantage partly of it, that. It, it was partly bad candidates, and Mitt Romney was a horrible candidate, and, and he, was, he was a candidate that was not picked because uh, the voters were excited about him. He was picked because the donors were excited about him. Uh, but it was also the, the, what I mentioned before, that the Obama administration began pushing on things uh, that, that really got people riled up. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that mobilized a lot of voters. But you also had Obama taking office right after the financial collapse. And so you had the rise of the Tea Party during this time. And a lot of those frustrations with the Tea Party, if you remember, weren't directed at Obama and the Democrats. They were directed at Republican leadership. They were, mm -hmm. they were angry at Bush. They were angry at the banks. They were angry at, 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 at our elites. And uh, that was a time when you saw a lot of Republicans get primaried by, you know, Freedom Caucus, conservative-type people, and, uh, and that was part of what that momentum started. A lot of the changeover in the state houses, it was more conservative Republicans coming in to replace establishment Republicans. We're talking to John Daniel Davidson. He's the political editor for The Federalists. Um, and uh, how does, one, how does uh, Trump's one term affect the future uh, of the Republican Party? I mean, he, he say what you want about him. He's got some shoes to fill there. If the Republican Party is going to have a future in this country, it's got to become a working class, right of center populist party. You know, it's obvious where the electorate is in this country. Uh, we're in a populist era in our country. And if the Republican Party wants to have a shot at governing, they're going to have to be a populist party. They're going to have to be socially conservative and fiscally liberal. And that's what Trump tapped into. Uh, and that's where a lot of voters are. It, you know, it, it, it's it's not where the donor class is. It's not where Mitt Romney and, and Liz Cheney and Mitch McConnell are. 
but if they want to have a say in the party going forward, they're going to have to get there. How many friends do you think uh, Donald Trump actually has or, uh, or had in the Republican Party? I mean, I'm talking about the people who look pretty friendly to him over the past four years. I guess I'm thinking of Mitch McConnell and people like that. Were they ever really his yeah. friends? No, I don't think so. I don't think they ever reconciled themselves to a Trump presidency. But more importantly, I don't think they ever reconciled themselves or ever will reconcile themselves to the populist currents that are moving through the country right now. And, uh, and, and that's going to be a big mistake for them in the long run. Yeah, uh, how, how much... Do you, uh, how much do you think that it's just a case of, of them um, living in that bubble, uh, both parties, and they talk to each other, and they, and they have intra-squad uh, uh, and inter-squad uh, t- you know, meetings with each other in various places, and they end up just reinforcing everything, and, and uh, they, they just, when, when somebody from the outside drops in, they just they can't handle it. They, they, they think that nobody could possibly be as smart as they are if they didn't hang out with them for the last 20 years. I think that's a big part of it. You know, that's the swamp, right? Uh, you know, what, what did Eric Cantor do after he, he got booted out of office uh, by Republicans? He became a lobbyist, you know? It was this revolving door uh, between Congress and, and K Street that everyone knows about in D.C. And a lot of the, you know, firebrand Tea Party conservatives that did get elected over the past decade end up going native once they get to D.C. and they never leave and they never go back uh, to their districts and to their, their, their home states. Uh, it's a big problem, and everyone knows it's a big problem, uh, and the problem's not going to go away. The discontent with that isn't going to go away, even if Trump goes away. So all these people saying, oh, we just got to get Trump out of office, uh, they're missing the bigger picture. This isn't about Trump, and you can get rid of Trump, you can vote him out, you can protest in the streets, you can celebrate that he lost the election, but the things that gave rise to Trump are not going to go away. And uh, I, I'm just wondering, are the are the remaining swamp creatures uh, there as he leaves? Um, are they even aware that they are the reason that Trump took over their party and ended up becoming president? I I don't think they get it. I, so based on things I no. see and hear from them, I, I don't I, I don't think they get it. No, they don't. It was it was a bad dream. It was all a bad dream. And if we can only get him out of there, we can go back to uh, the, the good old days before 2016. And that's true, not just of establishment Republicans, but a lot of Democrats feel the same way. Just get Biden in there, get the Obama team back, and everything will be okay. But they have the same kind of problem on their hands. The Democratic establishment has the same arguably worse problem with left-wing populism in the form of AOC and the squad and Bernie Sanders coming after Democratic leadership. Uh, and, and uh, you know, there is no going back to the good old days for either party. We're talking to John Daniel Davidson. He's a political editor of The Federalists. Um, and one other thing here about the elections. Um, what, will what happened with this election change how the media covers elections from now on in any way? Does it, I mean, will there be any more focus on the actual process than there used to be? The process of voting, I mean, rather than the results. I hope there will be, but I I don't know that there will be. And part of it is that the media establishment is so corrupt uh, and is so self-serving and is so uh, biased. They're not really in the business of reporting the news. And look, without Trump, a lot of these media companies are going to have a really hard time. Trump arguably was a lifeline to cable news networks like CNN and MSNBC uh, and even Fox. And without Trump, you know, they're going to be in trouble. And so they're either going to have to uh, rediscover the virtue uh, and the value of reporting the news uh, or they're going to go bankrupt because there's only so much, uh, you know, of Chris Cuomo joking around with his brother that uh, viewers are going to be willing to watch on TV. Yeah, they 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 they, I think they'll find out that um, uh, that it'll be a lot different trying to get people interested and people to stay tuned when you're spending uh, an hour slobbering all over somebody and saying how wonderful they are, that gets kind of boring after a while. It's no fun unless they're beating somebody up. Exactly. And this is not a media that's going to go after the Biden administration and hold them to account uh, the, the way they tried to hold the Trump administration to account. They're, they're, they're going to be uh, lapdogs of the Biden administration, which doesn't make for a very exciting TV. 
<laughs> no, but it's as I said, this is terrible for the country, but it's it's pretty good for the talk show business. Not that I would still not would prefer not to have to look at Joe Biden for the next one. I don't know how long he's going to be. That's a good question for you, as long as I have you here. Uh, you got an over-under on uh, how, how long Joe Biden will actually be president, and would you put any money on him being president four years from now? I, I wouldn't uh, put money or a prediction on it because I don't like to make predictions, but I, I mm-hmm. think uh, – I don't think he's going to be around for a second term. I think what we're looking at is a caretaker presidency. Uh, and in the meantime, the Democratic Party is going to have to, uh, you know, have their own little civil war here, just like the GOP is, is uh, having and will continue to have in the future. Yeah, is um, uh, when you talk about um, uh, the the differences in the in in how the media is going to have to cover it, too. It's it's just. Um, <laughs> They, they, those, the, the people like Maddow and uh, and Cuomo, they don't exist without the the target that they can throw stuff at all night. They, they that's that's what they do. Now I know that that's the business model, and they and they know that's the business model, and you know uh, they doubled down on that during the Trump administration uh, because it was good for business. But without that. You know, they're not going to, you know, be able to keep people's attention just by praising, you know, every kind of liberal and left wing program that comes out of the Biden administration. Um, That's not why people follow uh, the news. That's not why they read real news reporting and journalism. Uh, they they're interested in what's happening and they're interested in uh, in powerful people and corruption and double dealing. Uh, and and that's not the kinds of things that we can expect this corporate media to report on during the Biden administration. So I don't know what they're going to do, but they're going to have to yeah. figure it out soon. Got a couple minutes left here with uh, with John Daniel Davidson. So uh, as we finish up here, John, uh, we talked about the Republican Party, the the, uh, the recent past, and what's coming up in history, but uh, in the future. I mean, what about uh, who's going to have to emerge from there to? be Donald Trump four years from now. Actually, it'll be like two years from now when they start. It's, it's hard to say, but there are, you know, certain figures that I think have distinguished themselves as understanding the direction that the Republican Party is going and understanding what right of center populism might mean. And those are people like Josh Hawley, Senator Hawley. Um, Ted Cruz, of course, is, is still there in the mix and I think still has uh, aspirations to run in 2024. And on the other side of the aisle, you have, you know, the GOP establishment, the old guard kind of waiting in the wings in, in the form of people like Nikki Haley, um, even, even in the form of somebody like, uh, uh, like, uh, you know, Mitt Romney or, or oh. Liz Cheney, who I mentioned earlier, you know, the, these are people who are still, uh, part of public life and they still have aspirations, uh, and they're not on board with Trumpism and they don't really understand what's going on. But, but I think there's a cadre of younger, uh, lawmakers in DC that do get it. They do understand where the party is headed. And I think that we're going to see more and more of them in the years ahead. And you think there's a better chance it's going to be someone we don't really know of now, or at least nobody knows of, unless there's somebody like you or me who does this for a living and (laughs) pays more attention than we should? Well, at this rate, it could be Kanye West, but I I think it'll be someone more like uh, a a Josh Hawley uh, or, 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 you know, even one of these younger uh, congressmen like Dan Crenshaw out of Texas. Um, Yeah. You know, there there is a deep bench in the Republican Party of people who I do think understand what the what the changes are that are facing the nation and and what changes need to happen to to make the Republican Party a competitive and and a party that's ready to govern. And I think we're going to see those people come forward and see more of them very soon. I got about thirty seconds here, uh, John J- Daniel Davidson. Uh, what do you like? What are the chances of Donald Trump? Uh, two years from now, coming down the escalator again. <laughs> I think that we can't rule that out. Uh, it's uh-huh. always a possibility. And even if he doesn't do it, he's going to say that he's going to do it right up until the point that he doesn't. Yeah. Well, he's going to provide entertainment and fodder for the for the talk show industry. Thanks, John. I appreciate it, as always. All right. Thanks a lot. Okay. That's John Daniel Davidson. Check him out at Federalist.com. He's the political editor there, and I'll be right back. 
SRN News. I'm John Scott. Joining a list of others in the Trump administration, Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao is resigning, saying she cannot set aside the pro-Trump insurrection that occurred Wednesday at the Capitol. The U.S. registered its highest deaths yet from the coronavirus on the very day of that violence in Washington. California particularly hard hit, so was Arizona, with skyrocketing deaths and infections threatening to force hospitals to ration care. The nation recorded nearly 3,900 deaths on Wednesday. President-elect Joe Biden introducing Merrick Garland as his pick for attorney general. The president-elect with additional cabinet selections. Biden will pick Rhode Island Governor Gina Raimondo as Commerce Secretary. And Boston Mayor Marty Walsh will lead the Labor Department. This is SRN News. If you've fallen behind in your credit card payments during the shutdown, you're probably feeling some added pressures. And even a brief history of late payments can lead to a big drop in your credit score. But you don't have to solve these problems alone. Trinity Debt Management can help. We'll work with your creditors, put a stop to late fees and other penalties, and make a plan that helps you get caught up. We'll also consolidate your bills into one easy-to-manage monthly payment and negotiate much lower interest rates. Not only will you find immediate relief, you'll save thousands. And don't worry, it's not a loan. It's a smart way to get back on track. All you have to do is give Trinity a quick call, and we'll take care of the rest. Right now, no one really knows what the future will bring. But one thing is for sure. If your debt has you down, we should talk. Here's the number. Call one 800 936-5496 That's 1-800-936-5496 Without a doubt 2020 was the most bizarre year of our lifetime But good news, it's over and it's time to turn our eyes on 2021 This year, it's time to get back to business to take on new challenges without reservation and we're here to help with real, honest, and intelligent talk without all the hype. We've got you in 2021. Happy New Year. AM 1250, The Answer. Hi, my name is Ryan Bourne. And I'm Danica Bourne. And And we're we're the the owners owners of South Coast Coast Tax. As we enter 2021, we are filled with hope for what is to come and gratitude for what has already passed. With our Lord by our side, this year will be filled with joy, love, happiness, and success. Let's not allow 2020 to define who we are. Let's tackle 2021 head on and get rid of the taxes today. South Coast Tax are Christian-based tax accountants and attorneys who specialize in releasing bank levies, wage garnishments, and filing complex tax returns. We are the leaders in acceptance of offers and compromise with awesome results. We are also a small firm who will treat you like family and not just a number. Call us today at 1-800-TAX-1176 for a free consultation. And we'll take the time to explain all of the programs that you qualify for in order to allow you a fresh start. Call us at 1-800-TAX-1176 and together we can help achieve this goal to finish what God has started and put the IRS debt behind you for good. Again, that number is 1-800-TAX-1176. The COVID-19 pandemic continues to weigh on us. While we all feel helpless, remember there is much we can do to protect ourselves, our family and friends, all of us. Simply get in the habit of wearing a mask and maintain six feet of space between yourself and others in public. Wash your hands often and stay home if you feel sick. It takes all of us to combat COVID-19. Go to cdcfoundation.org to learn more. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. W223CS Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app. Smart speakers. Tune in. iHeart or Radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. On the Parkway East, you'll see congestion here and there, especially around the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. Most of the rest of the volume moving along nicely. Parkway West looking clear in both directions, not really seeing any big delays there. Strip District has the ongoing sinkhole repair on Smallman Street. It's shut down between 33rd and 35th Street. Checking out 79, we're in good shape there, and we're fine right now on 28. Everything moving along pretty well up to speed. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer, Weather. This afternoon, cloudy with a high of 35. Cloudy tonight, low 24. Cloudy in the morning tomorrow, followed by a mix of clouds and sun in the afternoon, high 35. Partly cloudy tomorrow night, low 22. Saturday, sunny to partly cloudy, high 37. Sunday, intervals of clouds and sunshine, high Sunday, 37. 
With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Brian May. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. So how about we take a break? No Trump, no Biden, no politics. Uh, How about some sports? Steelers play the Browns here Sunday night. And I'm old enough to remember when that was a great rivalry. So is Bud Shaw, for that matter. Um, He spent 29 years in Cleveland, mostly writing for the Plain Dealer. And he joins us now. Bud, thanks for being here. How are you? Hey, good to be with you, John. So uh, you're retired. And I, I didn't. I'm not. The reason I'm not holding that against you is because this series has been around for a long time, and I I know that you're still paying attention. And I I, I just I just like talking to you when we have Cleveland issues because to me, you know, this is not just a um, a cut and dry sports show. I like to mix culture and stuff like that in here. And so, uh, my question for you as a as a longtime Clevelander now. Um, how are the fine citizens of Cleveland dealing with the Browns being in the playoffs for the first time in 18 years? If they t- are they are they being mature about it? Well, it's a bit of a mixed bag. You know, the, the, getting into the playoffs is a huge thing. Obviously, the last time that happened was in 2002. Um, we all remember the game the Browns had against the Steelers, where they thought for sure that they were going to win that, and I was and there, uh, yeah. yeah, and it turned around on in the second half. Um, they they saw some vulnerability in the Steelers probably up to that last half of the of the Colts game, and I think mm-hmm. so they were dreaming for a few weeks that if they did get in, they'd have a chance to win over there. But 2021 is proving to be every bit as dismal as 2020 was in in the, the fact that they've got players out with COVID, and now the head coach won't be there, who's also the play caller. Yeah, um, all those things are not good for the Browns, but. You know the fans there just can't get a break. I mean, here not only here here you have them having the first good team they've had in what like twenty years, and um, they they well that's about fifteen or sixteen years, right? Anyway, they yeah. they finally get their best team they've had since who knows when, and they can't go watch them play. And they can't, yeah, they've there's... limited the, they've limited fan base here to uh, attendance here to like. Certain you know, 12,000 people or whatever when they play. Yeah. Um, same same case in Cincinnati. But, yeah, certainly, you know, at one point this year when they were sitting there at 10-3, and three, they were thinking, well, they might even get a home game out of this. Um, and, you know, now they have to go over to a place where they've never played particularly well, at least from a fan base standpoint. They've never seen their team play very well over there. With mm-hmm. Roethlisberger back and with – you know, missing Kevin Stefanski, who's probably up for Coach of the Year, and also losing Joel Batonio, who's uh, the all-pro offensive line guard. So it's it's pretty, you know, I don't know how much stock, John, you put in, you know, teams that play with house money. Yeah. I mean, how long does that last? Does it last for a half, three quarters? Right. Can, they, can they make it last in a game? There is that little bit of element there that's, that people think, well, maybe if Baker Mayfield has a great, Day and, and they hand the ball and it's chug enough. They still still could win a game like this. Yeah, and um, the uh, the the Steelers are not going to have any fans here Sunday night. I'm just wondering. Uh, yeah. What, how, do you know? I don't know the reason. I just made the announcement today that there's going to be no fans there. Um, I don't understand because I, if masks work, why can't they have everybody come to the game in a mask? That's my question. But. Um, how how are they allowed to do it in Cleveland? Uh, you say that like twelve thousand or something like that, and then zero here. It's one hundred and twenty five miles down the turnpike. The virus yeah, I know. I mean, can't pay the tolls or what? I don't know. <laughs> no, this this is a Governor Dewine thing in Ohio, so I assume it, it, it's the same issue in Pennsylvania, but but I'm not positive. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how that's going to work. Do you think well, the Steelers one of these teams that feels uh, immense pressure to? Uh, you know, to make it to the Super Bowl this year, do they? Do they? Oh yeah, no, that's that's not, their, that's their not all having time, fans, yeah. not having fans be an okay thing if you if you're the team facing all the pressure. If you get off to a bad start, I, I don't know. I, I don't put a whole lot of stock in it because you know Roethlisberger's been there how many times? His record against Cleveland's yeah. fantastic, and and they're going to have the better team on the field on Sunday. So, um, what what about the uh, for you the the history of covering that team. I mean, um, you went through 
you, you weren't there. Were you there when they moved? I think you were, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got here yeah. in 1991. So I was oh, okay. so, yeah. when Belichick turned them into a playoff team in 94. They actually beat the Patriots in, uh, um, in a playoff game before losing to Pittsburgh again. Um, and thinking that, you know, they were going to be on their way at that point. And then we know what happened with the move and, and the, just the dismal two decades, basically, since they returned in 99. So I was here for all of that. I, I was really here up and I was at games all last year, even, uh, and the pandemic sort of, uh, came into play and retired me as a, as a, a freelancer for Channel 3 here. So. Um, I saw it all, you know, the one in 31, uh, Hugh Jackson era. And, uh, and for the first time this year, um, I think I can legitimately say that, that it looks like they've got the two biggest questions answered. Do they have the right head coach and do they have the right quarterback? Maybe Mayfield's not as clear an answer as Stefanski, but he, he's shown, I think, that, that they'll be, you know, it makes sense to pick up his option and, and let him play a few years with maybe the same play caller. That would be a novel thing in this town. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, well, um, I'll get to Baker Mayfield in a minute. I, I really like him, and I'm I'm in the minority. Or not just yeah. I, I'm not I don't know him personally, but I mean I like him as a quarterback, and I think he's uh, I just like the way he plays. But um, what I wanted to ask you about was, I mean, for people in Pittsburgh to try to imagine. And speaking of the history of this rivalry, I mean, it disappeared and became the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, and and for people to understand what kind of a scar that uh, would leave if the Steelers would move. And, and uh, would I be stretching it, uh, Bud, to say that uh, the Browns moving, uh, the Steelers moving out of Pittsburgh would be no less traumatic or disastrous than the Cleveland Browns moving out of Cleveland? I mean, yeah, because I think it, it, it certainly at the time that it happened, they weren't, you know, they weren't decades removed from, you know, the best of Bernie Kosar years. So, yeah. you know, and, and so they, they still thought, and especially with, you know, with Belichick, who wasn't the most loved coach. I don't want to paint it that way. There were still people calling for, for his job before he turned him around in '94. But, but there was yeah. certainly a path there that people could see to where they they'd return to relevance again. And once they came back, and and you remember that that first game when they played the Steelers after coming back in '99, and what was there? Yeah, yeah, Cowboys head coach, and they lost, you know, like forty-three to nothing. Oh yeah, I was there. Well, it never got much better after that, and and you know, there's been so few decent seasons in between. I mean, that that was a huge thing when you know I'm from Philadelphia originally. I know how important the Eagles are to the city of Philadelphia. Um, but even then, the, you know, the, the city of Philadelphia had other things. They had Dr. J to cheer. They had some pretty good Phillies teams to cheer. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot happening here in, in other sports when the Browns left town. Yeah, we're talking to Bud Adams. He's a longtime uh, writer, commentator in Cleveland for uh, 29 years. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about the history, the, 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 just the, the, what I remember from the Browns-Steelers uh, rivalry. I was there uh, the night uh, in 2002. I was at the, in the press box at Three Rivers. Or no, at the Heinz Field, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And um, uh, sitting next to um, Foge Fazio. This was uh, on a, at a yeah, preseason God. game the, the year after that, the year after that playoff game. And Foge yep. was telling me that he and Butch Davis got in a screaming match uh, because he wanted to keep blitzing Tommy Maddox, who in the first half of that last playoff game the Browns were in, played what has to be the worst half of the game played by a Steeler quarterback in a playoff ever. And, and that was because they were blitzing him. And Foge wanted to keep blitzing him. And uh, Butch Davis said, nah, let's, let's play back a little bit. And the Steelers came back and beat him. And that that's just... So Cleveland Browns ish, isn't it? Since no, it since really is. Can... I mean, my understanding of that game was that that uh, it, it got so contentious on the sideline that Butch basically took defensive play calls away from yeah. there for the second half. And um, you know, that we, work out. We have an we have an expression. <laughs> we have an expression here that it's been coined. You know, OIC only in Cleveland, and that oh, game fit it perfectly. You know, you. You could not have sat there and watched that first half and think that the Cleveland Browns were not going to advance to the next round of the playoffs. 
Um, even even though it was with Kelly Holcomb at quarterback. I mean, he was lighting it up. And for that to have happened just falls right in line with a lot of the other crazy things that have happened here, and including going 0-16. Yeah, and who, uh, who would have thought back then that there wouldn't be another one until 2020, which you say 2020 to somebody back in 2002, and they're, they're thinking about <laughs> flying cars. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's... That's that there was, people walking around on Mars. I mean, that's what people yeah. think. You just, yeah. Yeah, and there were only, you know, there were only like two sort of redeeming seasons in between. You know, in 2007 with uh, Romeo Cornell as head coach, um, they went 10-6 and six but missed the playoffs. Um, you know, then in 2014, at one point they were, you know, 6-3 and three after beating the Bengals on a Thursday night with Brian Hoyer at quarterback. People thought they were at least on their way to being relevant again, and the Johnny Manziel era happened, yeah, boy. <laughs> and uh, and and completely ruined whatever they had going on that year. So um, there's just haven't been. It's not like they've had you know um, eight or six or eight seasons of nine and seven, ten and six, or whatever, or eight and eight even since then. They've just been terrible. We're talking to Bud Adams. He's a longtime sports writer in Cleveland, now retired. Uh, covered a lot of Cleveland Browns games, but he had to go 18, a well, long time, 16, 17 years, whatever it was, before seeing him in a playoff game since uh, 2002. Uh, Baker Mayfield. Um, I've had some guys, I've, I've had some battles on Twitter with uh, guys who are calling him a bum, uh, in not, not this year, but in the past. And I've, I've always said, I just like the way he plays. And... I like watching the Browns because I like their offense. It's not they're not running the same split uh, uh, offense that um, that the, um, the every other team is running. You know what I mean? The, yeah. And 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 they run the. They, he's a good ball handler. A lot of faking in the backfield, and it's a little bit of old school going on there. And I think they've done a great job of um, of using him the best possible way because they're not a fr- they don't they're not telling him to not roll out they 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 seem to have designed an offense to to accommodate his rolling out yeah they have you know he he was a guy that came in with five six games to go his rookie year and you could see immediately that he lifted the team when he came in and everybody was real excited he came back the second year and i think he was you know he was with a, a play, call, a different play caller again. Um, not totally different because uh, Freddie Kitchens had had filled in on on a few of those final games as play caller, but then became head coach. And he just did, you know, it was constant change in this town. So he had a new coordinator again, a new head coach again, new offensive line coaches, and everything else. So you know, it hasn't been an easy thing for him to get settled, but. He did his second year. I think he showed up as a guy who thought maybe who didn't quite understand yet how hard it was going to be to become a good quarterback in this league, and it showed. He was a little heavier. He didn't move as well. Uh, I think he got the message after last year, and he and he's had a really nice season so far. I mean, he still has turned the ball over a few times lately with fumbles, um, but prior to that, I think he's only, he's really only had like one interception, John, in the last you know five yeah. or six games. So. He's taking yep. care of the ball. He's got a tremendous arm, and he's starting Boy, to use his legs a little For a smaller guy, he really can hum it. Um, sure we're can. We're talking to Bud Shaw. I, I was just informed in my ear, headset that I called you Bud Adams twice here. I'm sorry about that, Bud. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the mistake. former owner of the Oilers, I think. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. I, I, I always used to get you mixed up with him. So, <laughs> Yeah, well. <laughs> financially, I can see why. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so, uh, getting back to Baker Mayfield and and Bud Shaw is uh, the, the sports writer, longtime sports writer, commentator from Cleveland. Um, uh, here in Pittsburgh, you're you're not allowed to root for the Browns. You're supposed to laugh at them. And I want I, I want the Browns. I don't want the Browns to win this week necessarily, but I I, I want the Browns to. I'm happy to see that the Steelers are playing the Browns in the playoffs. This is the way it's supposed to be. And I've been rooting for them to get good so that I could see this rivalry again before I die. And I might have a chance here in the next few years. Yeah, you know, I when I came here, as you know, John, I, I started coming, when I came out of college, I started covering Steelers football back in the late 70s for a few years before I started moving around, around the country to other take other jobs. So I've always had a good appreciation for 
not only the Steelers, but the fact that they used to come in here. I would come to Cleveland when they would play over here. So I got, I got a real feel for this town, and they weren't, too, weren't very good back in the, the late 70s and early 80s. So I didn't see both teams. I've never really seen both teams at, at a high level, playing at a high level. Um, I've only been a few instances of that. So I, I think, you know, I don't know if this game necessarily qualifies because of the losses uh, in personnel. Um, but certainly to see the Steelers sitting there 12 and four and the Browns at 11 and five and the Ravens as good as they are is, is, you know, is really an exciting turn of events for this division and for football in this area. Yeah. And, um, what, what kind of expectations are there among the fans and, and the media there too? Are the, are the local media, I know you're not supposed to be rooting, but you might be predicting and, uh, what are you seeing and what are you hearing from the, from the expectation standpoint well, over there? You know, I think I don't think they looked I don't think they looked very good last week at all playing against uh, Mason Rudolph and the Steelers. Yeah. Um, they went through a COVID week uh, where they the facility wasn't open and it, it still is not open yet today, John. So they they've had one practice in two weeks. So maybe maybe that lack of practice is what made them or led to the way they looked last week. Yeah. But it was almost because they qualified for the players for the first time in 17 years. It was totally hands. It was kids' gloves. You know, you couldn't question anything. Um, everybody was just happy that they had a playoff game to write about. Right. Um, th- this game, I think, is so odd in that you're going to go in there without your head coach, uh, with a special right. teams coach, Mike Prefer, as your as your head coach, and missing still. Uh, we don't know about Denzel Ward, but missing Batonio. Um, and, and four or five other guys that they, they could use. That I, I don't know that people will hold it against them if they go in there and don't have a good showing. I, I think people just chalk it up to you know a very strange year and be excited that they seem to have turned the corner. But I'm out of time. I didn't get a chance to talk to you. But the, the, the baseball team actually changed its name, too. That's, I mean, you've had a team move out of town. That you covered, and then a team that you covered has changed the name. It's been around for a hundred years. You've had a only in Cleveland, I guess. I used yeah, and they traded their, uh, their franchise shortstop today, so uh, Francisco Linder. So it's been, uh, you know everybody's sort of looking up at the sky, waiting for the rest of the sky to fall this week. Yeah, hey, hey, Bud, I really appreciate you coming on anytime. I'm sure there'll be a Cleveland story again. I want to pick your brain for later on down the road. Thanks. Sounds good, John. Good talking to you. Okay, good talking to you. We'll be right back. We're all thinking a lot more about staying safe these days. Windows R Us Pittsburgh is no different. This is John Steigerwald. When it comes to working around your home, Windows R Us remains committed to the safety of you and your family. For roofs, gutters, and downspouts, siding, and, of course, windows, Windows R Us Pittsburgh can answer the call. With over 50 years of home remodeling experience, Windows R Us has earned its reputation as the area's premier exterior replacement company. And all work will be done in strict compliance with the government's social distancing guidelines. If you've had damage, you may be eligible for free repair or replacement. Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers. You'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry. From a company that will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty, why pay double? Trust the area's premier exterior replacement company. That's WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. This is AM 1250, The Answer. By now, you've heard me talk about my pillow and how it's literally changed my life. They won't go flat. You can wash and dry them as many times as you want. They maintain their shape, made in the USA. For a limited time, Mike is offering his premium MyPillows for his lowest price ever. You can get a standard queen premium MyPillow for $29.98, originally $69.98. That's a $40 savings. Kings are only $5 more. Not only are you getting the lowest price ever, $29.98 for a standard queen premium, but Mike is extending his 60-day money-back guarantee to March 1st, 2021. 
Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code STAG. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and MyPillow towel sets. Or call 800-716-8087 and use promo code STAG. Warning, listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. Yeah, so in case you didn't hear, the Steelers will not be allowed to have any fans in their uh, uh, stay in Heinz Field Sunday night for the game against the Browns. Uh, the state's orders will only permit 2,500 Total people in the building, including players, coaches, and staff, according to uh, Bert Lawton, the, uh, the the publicity guy, the media relations guy for the Steelers. Uh, and that means bowl seating will be limited to family and friends of players and the team. Uh, my question is, I got a couple of them. I threw it out there when uh, I was talking to Bud Shaw, um, that um, uh, I don't understand. If masks work, why can't you put... I mean, I don't know why you don't put a full stadium, but why can't you put 20,000 people in there spread out pretty well, all wearing masks? If they, if they don't, if they work, what are we worried about? I, I don't get it. And, and it's just when are we going to see a stadium full of people, a, a full stadium? I, I mean, I just, I'm to the point where I can't even imagine it happening anymore. Um, the Penguins are in training camp right now. And uh, they have a game uh, Wednesday night, less than a week away, and they're going to play in front of nobody in Philadelphia. It's going to be, what, January 17th or 13th? 13th, I guess it is. How uh, Can you picture the Penguins playing in front of 18,000 people at uh, the arena here uh, for a home game at any time soon? Can you see it happening this season before – they have the playoffs in August or whenever they're going to have them. I don't, I don't, I just don't see it happening. But uh, empty stadium for Steelers Browns, that stinks. You know what, you know what really stinks? All sports with no fans stink. I'll talk to you tomorrow. John Staggerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.